Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we again are so thankful for your Sabbath day, for this sanctuary of time that you have blessed us with. And God, we come to you today because you are worthy. We come to you today because of your grace, Lord. And Father, we want to thank you for who you are and who you have shown yourself to be. Father, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit is my prayer. In Christ's name, amen. You wake up with a start. Your thoughts are racing. Your heart is pounding. You have just received a dream. A dream that you know was clearly sent by God. You have received a calling to go and serve overseas as a missionary, called to enter the war-torn country of Syria. No, not to minister to the sweet orphans there or to help in the efforts fighting terrorism or to work with the refugees. No, God has in fact called you to go and work in the heart of an ISIS camp. And it is there that you will preach an evangelistic series. How many of you are signing up for this Advent Hope mission trip? Amen. <laughs> How will your country respond when you try to gain reentry? Will they view you as a spy? Will they see you as a terrorist, a recruiter by chance? Maybe you've seen the videos or maybe you've heard about them, the beheadings that are frequently experienced. And you question, will I even survive. You see, this story, this dream, is actually quite similar to one that was given to a man named Jonah. A story which we know, a man who was called to go to the heart of Nineveh and there to preach a story of redemption. Now, Nineveh, located today in Mosul, Iraq, was the capital of the Assyrian kingdom. Now, if you don't know too much about the Assyrians, let me introduce you to who your neighbors would have been. When you approach Nineveh, you are going to see a city that is a three days journey across. Its walls are 40 feet thick and 60 feet high. Certainly it was impenetrable at best. And there he is called to enter into this Assyrian capital. In his book, Extreme Violence in the Visuals and Text of Antiquity, by Martin Zimmerman, professor of ancient history in Munich, Zimmerman lists the Assyrians as being the masters of brutality. Try putting that on your resume. Masters of brutality, slashing open the stomachs of opponents, hacking up their flesh, and displaying it as a trophy. These are just a few of the barbaric acts which they frequently enacted. In fact, when they would march captives across the desert, rather than using ropes or handcuffs of sorts, they chose to use a more sinister method. 
the Assyrians would take something like a fish hook and they would hook it into the rib of the captive, hooking it into the prisoner in front of them. When you died, they would simply unhook you and kick you to the side. Now, this is possibly a gruesome way to begin a Sabbath worship service. (laughs) But my point here is, we think about these old stories and we're like, Jonah, where was your faith? Why were you running? Why were you hiding? But do we see why he might have been? I mean, I, I certainly would have been. These are not people you want to invite over for dinner. And yet these are the people that Jonah was called to serve. And yet as this story unfolds, we are going to find that strangely enough, it was not death, it was not torture, it was not estrangement from the country of his birth that Jonah feared most. Rather, it was a fear that I believe all of us have experienced at one time or another, a fear that is far more relatable. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We will begin in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5. You're struggling to find it. I don't blame you. It's in the minor prophets area. Uh, I put a bookmark just so I wouldn't get stuck while I'm up here. Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Verse 7, And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or even drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. But he did not do it. In verse chapter 4 and verse 1 we read, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. In the New International Version it translates it as, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Here you see a gospel presentation given to the people of Nineveh. They respond appropriately. Their hearts are broken before this God who they likely had never heard of before. They turn to him in sackcloth and ashes and repentance, even the king saying, don't eat, don't drink. And the response given by Jonah, and he was 
angry. Imagine with me that Mark Finley, a renowned Adventist evangelist, was to come to this area, to the uh, Inland Empire area, or let's just say San Bernardino, and he was going to preach a citywide prophecy seminar. He had spent much time in preparation. All the flyers had gone out to the community. All the Bible workers are going door to door. And for 40 days and nights, there Mark Finley is preaching his heart out. At the end of the seminar, you go to Mark Finley and you begin to inquire, what were the results? How did the people of San Bernardino respond? And Mark Finley turns to you and he says, it was horrible. Every single person in that city gave their life to Jesus Christ and every single person was converted. It was horrible. Would he still keep his job? Probably not, right? Thankfully, he wouldn't ever say that. But just by point of illustration here, you're, you're thinking, how ludicrous is this? You were called to preach a series. You give this series. You have an incredibly, overwhelmingly positive response. And then you say, how dare you? How could you do this? Continuing. Or in a moment, through the book of Jonah, we see this is exactly how he responded. Just for background information, in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah again received this call from God to go to Nineveh, as we have been exploring. He then got on a boat, and he headed for the southern part of Spain. But after what you might call a whale of a time, Jonah is spit out on the beach, and he finds himself traveling once again to Nineveh. And that's where, of course, the story picks up in Daniel chapter 3. After 40 days of boldly preaching this message to Nineveh in the heart of this enemy territory, Jonah goes to the hillside, and he sits down, and he waits to see the fireworks show. But instead, God does something that infuriates him. God foils his plans once again by choosing instead to accept their repentance. And, can you believe it? To forgive them. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. Again, we might initially attribute Jonah's anger to his damaged pride at a prophet who gives a prophecy, and yet it doesn't come true. But we're going to find there is actually a deeper reason. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. So he, speaking of Jonah, prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said to you when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. Okay, so why did he flee? Here's the answer. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents 
from doing harm. Therefore, O now, Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 4, then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? I can't help but picture the intonation in God's voice here. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Do you remember where you were just 40 days ago? There in the belly of a whale because you ran from a God that you have heard of from your childhood. Of a God that you stand as the representative of. You are his prophet and you ran. And yet here is a nation of people who don't know their left hand from their right, a nation of people that have never heard of the true God. And when they hear the story of redemption and forgiveness and healing and grace, they immediately repent and turn their lives to me. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? God asks. But God Don't you know how bad the Ninevites are? God, don't you know that there are sworn enemies? God, haven't you heard about the fish hooks? Haven't you heard about the torture? Haven't you heard about the captives killed? God, they, unlike me, are not worthy of your grace. In Acts chapter 15, we see that Peter had a very similar experience as he's trying to work with the Jewish and the Gentile believers. There is a battle about grace and who can receive it. And Peter continually had to say, it doesn't matter what your genealogy is. It doesn't matter if your father is Abraham. He can raise up stones that come from Abraham. The point is, the Jews, the Greeks, are saved by the exact same grace. It's no different. It's no different. Whether you're Adventist or whatever it is, we're all saved. Sixth generation, 20th generation, we're all saved by the exact same grace. Yet how easy it is to embrace the grace of God when it's showered upon us but to grow bitter when that same grace is bestowed upon those that have hurt us most. The bitterness of Jonah can so easily become our own. What does it mean to forgive? In Greek, the word that is commonly translated into English as forgive in the New Testament means to give graciously, to give freely, to bestow. To give freely, in other words, there's no limit, there's no boundary in giving freely to someone else. But I believe that sometimes we hold, we protect against forgiveness because we have a misconception of what it is. So I want to share briefly three points of what forgiveness is not. First, forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. 
Forgiveness and reconciliation is not necessarily synonymous. It takes two to reconcile, but how many to forgive? It takes one to forgive. Yes, reconciliation should be our desire and our goal, but there are certainly times, such as in an instance of, of some forms of abuse, where reconciliation may not be possible or may not be healthy. Reconciliation takes two, but forgiveness only takes one. Secondarily, forgiveness is quite often not a feeling, at least not initially. Forgiveness is often not a feeling, but it is a choice. And third, forgiveness does not mean that what happened was okay. Forgiveness does not justify the actions. One of my favorite Bible characters is a man by the name of Joseph. When I think of a word that describes Joseph, I think of the word honor. Joseph was a man of honor, a man of integrity, and for his honor and for his integrity, he suffered, did he not? He went to prison because he was a man of honor and integrity, and yet he chose to live his life as a life of faithfulness. Genesis chapter 50, roles are reversed, and instead of him at the feet of his brothers begging to be set free, now in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers are at his feet, and they now are the ones begging for protection. Joseph turns to his brothers, and again, he could have allowed this bitterness to grow over the decades that he had been a slave, the decades that he had been a prisoner, the decades that he had been separated from his father, wondering whether he was still alive or going to an early grave, suffering the loss of his beloved son. And then yet, instead of bitterness, Joseph chose honor. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he confronts his brothers. And he says, what you did, you meant it for evil. But God, I love those two words, right? But God turned it for good. Amen. There may be situations in our life that we look at and we say, hey, this wasn't good. And possibly it was intended for evil, but God, but God. And when Joseph is at the end of his life story and he's looking back, he looks back with, back with nothing but gratitude because it was because of his slavery that he could save his people. It was because of those years in Egypt that he could set them free. Romans 8, verse 28 is frequently quoted and is a verse that we certainly hold dear. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And I believe that's a special, beautiful promise that we too can claim. But notice what the passage does not say. 
It does not say all things are good. It doesn't say that. And as we've gone through life, and for many of us here that have spent time working in the hospital, and you see these situations, you see the woman who was shot in the face with a shotgun by a man who once said, I love you. You see the car accident, passengers killed by a drunk driver, and you look at these situations and you say, no, this isn't good. This is not how it was meant to be. And yet, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering, God can say, I didn't cause this, but if you give it to me, I can bring beauty out of it. This is not good, but God. But God. To those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I spent five or six years in full-time ministry, uh, traveling and giving Bible studies and sharing seminars. And I found that it was so easy to preach on the topic of forgiveness. Such an easy topic to put together a beautiful sermon and be able to convey it to another. But it wasn't until life hit home for me And suddenly, I was the one that was struggling with bitterness and pain. I was the one struggling to forgive. When your own theory begins to crumble in the face of reality, and you find yourself saying, God, I need to learn this lesson because I clearly haven't learned it yet. God, help me to forgive. And I remember as part of that journey, uh, praying to God, being like, God, I want to forgive, but I can't. And in that moment, feeling the assurance from God that, no, you can't, but I can in you. No, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but that's why it's divine. You can't, but I can. You can't, but God. God can work the miracle of forgiveness and healing in our lives. I am incredibly inspired by a woman named Corey Tinboom. Has anyone here read any of her work, The Hiding Place? Quite a few people. So you may be familiar with her story. Corey Timboom, again, was living during the, the Nazi occupation in, in Holland, if I'm not mistaken. And her family was hiding Jews in their home. And at one point, her family was again captured by the Nazis. They were taken to a concentration camp. Shortly thereafter, her beloved father dies. And towards the end of her time in this concentration camp, her sister, who was just so close and dear to her heart, a prayer warrior, a woman of faith and honor, she too passed away without Corey being able to be at her side. They faced incredible atrocities, barbaric experiences, and yet 
Corey decided, or she felt a calling, even while in the concentration camp, that once I leave this place, I am going to travel around Germany, around Europe, and I am going to share the message of forgiveness and reconciliation. This is why she's still behind bars, that she has made this commitment. And when she indeed was set free, that was her calling and her mission, and she began to travel the world preaching the message of forgiveness and healing. After one of her presentations that night, a gentleman approached her at the door. He was clearly touched and shook up by the message that he had just heard. And the moment that she saw him, she says that shivers went down her spine. She immediately recognized it, him as a guard that had been particularly cruel to her sister. I don't know about, about you, but I'm a very phlegmatic person. Anger is, not, anger is not an emotion I often experience. But if you were to touch my little sister, <laughs> that's a whole other story. And here Corey is saying, in that moment, nothing but hatred filled her heart as she saw this man. Here she had just preached a sermon on forgiveness, but all she feels is hatred. How could you? How dare you? And she wrestled within her heart, God, what do I do? And in that moment, she chose by faith to reach out and to offer her hand to the man. And she says in that moment that she reached out, suddenly this incredible weight was lifted from her own soul. And she felt forgiveness and healing in her own life. See, often forgiveness is not a feeling, or at least not at all times. But by the grace of God, it can be a choice. As we're willing to reach out, God can heal and do the rest. A woman of great faith. How can we, too, experience this forgiveness? Christ Object Lessons, page 251, puts it this way. The ground of all forgiveness is found in the un merited love of God. Ground of all forgiveness is found in the unmerited love of God. By our attitude towards others, we show whether or not we have made that love our own. See, if we spend our time considering what they've done to us, it's difficult, if not impossible, to experience the healing power of forgiveness. But forgiveness instead is found in looking unto Jesus, in looking at what he has offered, how he has saved us, how he has healed our souls. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at verse 13. The Bible says, bearing with one another, 
in love and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Forgiving one another according to what they deserve? How much should we forgive another by? What is the standard set here? As Christ has forgiven us. You know, we think about all the horrible things that you can imagine being done to you or maybe that you've experienced. And yet if we stop and we reflect on the ways that we have done those same things to God, suddenly the whole picture changes. We don't forgive according to what they deserve or what we think they deserve. By the grace of God, we can forgive, we can offer it to another by the same level, to the same standard, which Christ has forgiven us. In Jonah chapter 4, we continue this story. Jonah chapter 4. And we'll begin in verse 9. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, the Bible says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Remember, God again had a plant come up to provide shade for Jonah, and then it withered and died. And, and Jonah was so mad, he said, Just let me die. Let me die. I'm glad I don't say that every time I kill a plant, because... And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have, <laughs> I'm thinking anger management classes. Uh, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock, too. You've had pity over a little plant. Should I not pity this massive group of people? And in the Bible, in response, how did Jonah respond? In verse 12. There is no verse 12. <laughs> How did Jonah respond? We don't know. Now, I have a pet peeve that I'm about to share with you, and it's one that I hope you promptly forget and do not use against me. I hate unfinished stories. It drives me crazy when a preacher begins a seminar, a message with a story and does not finish it until the end of the service. I have heard nothing in between. <laughs> nothing. All I want to know is what happened. What is the end of the story? And so this story recalled in the book of Jonah drives me bonkers. I want to know how did it end? How did it finish? How did Jonah respond? It pushes every single one of my buttons at once. But on the other hand, 
I wonder if maybe the story wasn't retold this way for a reason. Maybe, in fact, because this story is truly our own. We all have our own life stories. Maybe of bitterness, maybe of hatred. Maybe it's accumulated throughout the years in various relationships that we have. Why is life so hard for us, but full of laughter, promotions, and grace to those that have hurt us most? How do we respond to the mercy of God when the intoxicated driver survives, but you stand behind your son looking at his lifeless body and hearing the physician say, I'm sorry, ma'am, we did all that we could. How do we respond to the grace of God when it enters into our living room, when it's your wife and your best friend and your broken home? How do we respond to the grace of God when our theory crumbles in face of reality. Or perhaps you can easily, easily share the story of God's grace with another and preach a story like Jonah did of repentance and healing and grace, and then you find yourself wondering whether that can be your own. Perhaps questioning whether you are the one who can receive grace. You see, I believe the silence of Jonah actually speaks volumes. Like this prophet of, all, of old, we all have our own life journeys. We all have our own paths. Is that not true? I don't know all of your stories, and I hope you tell them to me, because otherwise it'll drive me crazy, right? <laughs> I don't know all of your stories. But I know there's been areas that haven't been easy. I know there have been parts of that journey that have been rockier than others. And I know there are areas where God is seeking for even deeper healing. And today, I believe that we have the opportunity to exchange the cup of bitterness and pain for the cup of grace and healing. We have the opportunity to not only take it for ourselves, but to extend it to another. We have the opportunity to finish the story told in Jonah chapter 4. But the question for us today, through the grace of Jesus Christ, how will we choose to finish the story? And my prayer is that truly there will be nothing between us and our Savior. And that we will open our hearts today, that by faith, like Corey Timboom, we will reach out and we will say, God, I trust in you. And I choose to look to the one that has set me free, the one who has forgiven me, the one who continues to bestow grace that I don't deserve. And God, through that grace, may it flow through me that I may extend it to another. If that's your desire, would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you as the song reminded us that your grace will never, never fail throughout eternity. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, today, there may be some of us, some of us here that as we've listened to your word through your prophet Jonah today, we are recognizing that we need to experience that forgiveness and that healing in our own lives. That we want to throw away the cup of bitterness and that we want to receive the cup of grace and of healing and we are willing through your mercy to bestow it to another. And Father, I also want to pray in a special way, if this is the desire, as every eye is closed and head is bowed, to just raise your hand as, again, a a sign before God alone, that, God, I'm committing my heart to you, nothing between me and my Savior. God, I know there's nothing in our lives that you can't heal, no place too dark for your light to reach. And so, Father, we are praying for that forgiveness and that healing today. Your hands can go down now. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your grace and for your love and compassion. May it go with us as we begin a new week. We thank you and we pray for this blessing because you are the one who can so abundantly bestow. We thank you and we pray in the name of the one who we love so much, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.